0: Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. As we go through this week and we celebrate the 4th of July, let's take some time to be thankful and reflect on the blessings that we have. Uh, today I'm starting a new series, it's called Ordinary Heroes, and over the next four weeks we'll be talking about ordinary heroes, people in the Bible that God used in mighty ways. And so this week and next week we'll be talking about heroes from the Old Testament, and then the, the following two weeks we'll be talking about heroes in the New Testament. And uh, how many of you guys have the, the YouVersion app on your phone? So all the slides are there, all the scriptures are there, you can make notes, you can save those things, and you can go back and reflect on this, so I appreciate that. If you don't, and you don't know how to get that, talk to somebody that does, and they can help you out. So today we're going to be going to Judges, and I'm going to be be talking about Gideon. And if you read back in Judges, Judges was written before Israel had kings. They had these judges that God would impart to, and and priests, and, and they would oversee the nation and, and uh, uh, so judges will be uh, talking about Gideon and that story of Gideon or the account of Gideon is is in chapter 6 7 8 9 10 it kind of keeps going and so if you haven't read that uh, you might want to read that so that's what we'll be talking about today Judges 6 1 through 14 the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years now when we go back and look at Israel Uh, we see that they would do this time and time again, right? They would turn away from God. Their biggest challenge was that they would continue to worship these pagan gods. When they went into the Promised Land, God said, look, don't intermarry with these other tribes because they're going to suck you into their pagan religions and you need to stay focused on me. And time after time after time after time, we see that Israel did that. They would worship the Lord for a while, then they would turn away from Him, and then they would be taken captive, and then they would cry out to the Lord, and then they would, He would deliver them, and He would restore them, and, and then they would go back. And, you know, I think we're seeing that today, too, with so many people that say they're Christian, they're really not committed to this life and this relationship of Christ. So, in verse 2, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains caves and strongholds and for those of us who have been to Israel there are lots of caves and so you can envision that they would be hiding in these caves and in these strongholds and up in the mountains whenever the Israelites planted their crops marauders from Midian Amalek and the people of the east would attack Israel camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza they left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all their sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. So when you look at, at, at Israel, the land of Israel, they were coming from the east, and, and they were just, you know, just taking everything out of the country, all the way down to Gaza. So this was like the major part of the country. And, and they were not only stealing, but they were destroying So I could envision that they would come and they would take everything that they wanted and then they would say, well, here's a field of grain. We don't need it. What do you want to do with it? Let's burn it. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. The Midianites were numerous. They were ruthless. They were evil. And they didn't care about the Israelites. They didn't care about starving them out. Uh, verse 5 continues, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So what I would envision is that when harvest time would come, they'd say, oh, look, it's harvest time, let's go. And they would go to Israel and they would take their grain, everything that they wanted, their, their animals, and they would stay until they had taken everything that they wanted and then destroy the rest. Imagine having everything that you'd worked hard for, somebody coming and taking, And the stuff they didn't want, they just destroyed. I was thinking about this, excuse me, I was thinking about this this past week and I read that there are 1.45 billion, with a B, people that live in China. There are approximately 335 million people that live here in the United States. So they have like four times as many people living in China as we do here. And imagine that China comes and they decide, we're going we're gonna, to uh, take over America. And I they say, well, we're going we're gonna to take 25% of our population, and we're just going to move them over to America, 350 million people. And every home, every farm... Every military base, every government institution, every hospital, everything was taken over by the Chinese. And we were left stranded. So they pretend they kill every, every, everyone that they didn't want or need, and they, they put us all out to pasture. Leaving us without food, without water, without shelter, without transportation, without smartphones. Oh, heaven forbid, without video games. <laughs> And do you think people in America would begin to maybe pray I think maybe they'd begin to change and say hey wait maybe we need to come back to God think about 9-11 when 9-11 happened people started going to church oh we need to go back to church we need God it didn't last very long so they went they went back to the normal so, oh, we're we're good God I know people that have said, oh, man, would you pray for me? I need a job. Yeah, I'll pray for you. But remember when God provides for you, remember him. Return to him what belongs to him. Stay connected to him. I get a job. See you. Bye, God. I'm good. I'll see you at the next crisis. Verse 6, so Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. what I'm talking about how many people cry out to God only when they get into a jam and then they expect to have it how, how can you have a relationship like that have you ever known people or had people in your life oh they're your best friend when they need something and then once they don't need anything by hey how are you doing I'm busy talk to you later Hey, how you doing, man? I was just checking on you. Can I use your truck? I'm moving this week. A week later, hey, what's going on? How you you doing? Oh, I'm good. Bye. Do we do that with God? Is that the kind of relationship that we have? Some kind of shallow? We'll use you, God. And then when you get us out of a jam, we don't need you any longer? I think that's the history that we saw with Israel. Not a good example. Many people reject the Lord until they are in a crisis. This relationship was never meant to be like a light switch on and off, hot and cold. But we develop this relationship over time. And we see the hand of God move. Our faith is built like a muscle over time as we go through challenges and we see God move. Not just to get us out of a jam. But we sing about it today. About the Lord able to move the mountains. Greater than the mountain that's in front of me. When we sing these worship songs, listen, they're not just cute little songs that we're singing. We're making declarations. We're reminding ourselves. We're reminding our neighbors. We're reminding the host of heaven who God is. And even when we don't see it, He's working. Even when we don't feel it, He's working. Invite Jesus into your life. And, but remain yielded and connected to Him. That is the key. Let's read on in Judges 6-7. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord The God of Israel says, I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. They had a history. They had experience of seeing God do miracles for them. Even their enemies knew about the miracles. Oh, these are the Israelites that are coming. We've heard about their God, how powerful their God is. The Egyptian army was chasing them down, and God split the sea and let them through and then drowned the the Egyptians. And they're coming into our territory now. Ooh, we need to be fearful because of their God. Judges 6.10, I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. They knew better. (laughs) Yet they refused to obey. Do you know people that know better for the sake of their own life, for the sake of their marriage, for the sake of their family, their children, and yet choose to disobey to their own demise? Judge, uh, Judges 6.11 Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. <clears throat> so, we read this. What does this really mean? Okay, so when they would thresh grain... They would put the grain, the stalks or, or the, the heads of grain, generally on a hard surface. And they would either beat it or they would have like a, an animal and, and maybe a, a stand on a board to crush the husk of the grain. Because what we eat is not the full grain. We, there's, a, there's a covering. There's a husk over the seed. And so we need to break the husk off and the seed is what we eat. And so, as they would do this, they would break the husk off, off the grain, then they would have winnowing forks, and generally this was up where there was, a, where you could get a breeze, and they would throw the grain up, and the husk is lighter than the grain, so the wind would blow the husk away, and they would discard it, and that would leave behind the seed, the grain that we would eat, they would make flour out of. Okay, so when you make wine, it's down in a a press, and it's basically a pit where you crush the grapes. And so it's not designed to be up top where you can get some wind. Well, they couldn't be at the the normal threshing floors because, why? Because the Midianites would see them. So they're having to hide so that they can survive. And so Gideon is... Threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. It was not optimal, but he had to adjust if they wanted to survive. We have an acron- acronym here called WIT whatever it takes. So we do whatever it, whatever it takes to get the gospel out. And so that's what they were doing. Judges 6.12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. The angel of the Lord sees Gideon as a mighty hero. Probably not how Gideon sees himself. Ah. And this is Gideon's response. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, Why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Has somebody ever asked you a question and you're like, I'm not even going to respond to that? (laughs) Really? Really, Gideon? why are you treating us like this? Has it ever crossed your mind that you're worshiping these pagan idols, worshiping Baal and ba- Baal, and setting up asherah poles, worshiping these pagan gods, where many times they would sacrifice their children? Really get in. Do I need to answer that? <laughs> the angel doesn't answer it. Then the Lord turned. To him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. He just called him a mighty, mighty man of God, a, a mighty hero. What, is the, what does the word say about you? You're God's masterpiece. You're his prized possession. Sometimes we can talk ourselves down from what God says about us. Talking about ordinary heroes today, people like you and me, that God works through powerfully, not because we're so skilled and and educated and smart and all this thing, but because of God's power working through our life. The Lord works through ordinary people. To do extraordinary things. So my first point this morning is: be available to the Lord. Judges six fifteen. But Lord Gideon replied, "How can I rescue you? How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family." Gideon is looking at his natural strength. He's looking at things from the natural. But in the strength of the Lord, you are powerful. Tell your neighbor, say, in the strength of the Lord, you are powerful. When the Lord gives us a job, we can choose to argue or obey. When the Lord tells us we are mighty, that we're a mighty hero, or when the Lord tells us to go do something, we can trust that he's going to empower us to do it. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So I'm jumping to my second point here now. The first point is be available. My second point is extraordinary challenges require extraordinary faith. How do we have extraordinary faith? Faith is something that's built as we begin to walk in faith. As we begin to see, wow, I remember when God did this. It builds our faith. It builds our trust, our strength. The Lord is gracious to us. Even when we are lacking in faith. Sometimes maybe we need to pray, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Help me to have greater faith. And when we pray that, the Lord will probably say, okay, let me give you a little test. So you can have a testimony. Testimony. So you can walk in greater faith so next time around you can say oh yeah I remember that time we had our house we wanted to sell our house and you brought somebody out of the blue to buy our house there was no sign in the yard we weren't listed with a realtor and you brought somebody from the Ukraine to buy oh yeah I remember the time when you said you were gonna place on somebody's heart to buy us a new car not once but twice those are the kinds of things that build our faith. And not just in material things. Those are material things. There are greater things. I remember the time you supernaturally healed my wife. Those are the things that build our faith. And so God is gracious to us, even sometimes when we're a little shaky in our faith. Verse 17, Gideon replied, If you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking to me. Even in doubt, though, Gideon has a heart to honor the Lord. And uh, I'm not going to read all of this, but in summary, Gideon goes and kills a a goat, uh, a baby goat, a young goat, bakes some bread, returns and presents it to the angel. Now, when we read these scriptures, that doesn't just happen. He didn't have like a microwave. He had to go get the goat. He had to kill it. He had to skin it. He had to cook it. bake the bread and then he returns to present it to the angel and then in this account the angel takes his staff and touches the meat the broth and the bread and it just burns up on the rock and then the uh the angel disappears poof (laughs) and Gideon realizes wow this really is an angel of the lord and then that night The Lord speaks to Gideon, and he tells him to tear down the pagan altar that his dad has built. And he says, build an altar to me, take a bull, sacrifice it on the altar. And also take the Asherah poles, these were some of the things they worshipped, cut that thing down and use that for fuel for the fire. Gideon does it at night because he knows it's going to upset some people, (laughs) And the next morning they go and they see that their Asherah pole has been cut down and there's, there's been an altar built. Theirs has been torn down and they see the remnants of the sacrifice. They do some investigative work and they find out that it's Gideon that's done this. And they're like, okay, let's go get Gideon and, and kill him. And, it's, and Gideon's dad says, oh, look, if, if, if Baal, Baal is this great God, let him deal with Gideon. So that's some of the background that's going on. See, walking in faith is going to require us to, this is going to be amazing to you, but it's going to cause us to walk in faith. It was probably not an easy thing for him to do. don't expect everyone to rejoice when pagan altars are torn down. Have you ever been, begin to speak to someone about the altars in their life that are not God? People can get pretty upset with you. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but we need to yield to the Lord. Sometimes the Lord is using us to, to bring to light somebody's altar in their own life. I've shared with you numerous times where this gentleman came to me and said, Mark, you say you're a Christian, but the words that come out of your mouth don't reflect it. That conversation was the catalyst for a change in my life. So let's go back to Gideon. The enemies gathered to attack Israel. Gideon asked for two more signs from the Lord. Have you ever heard? Someone say, I want to lay a fleece before the Lord. We're, we're going to talk about where that comes from. Judges 6, 36 through 40. Then Gideon said to God, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wolf fleece on the threshing floor tonight. Okay, so imagine that it's a, a you know, like a rug maybe of a... Of a Sheep or something, you know, okay? So, and he says, "Uh, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, (laughs) Uh, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time let the fleece remain dry while the ground all around it is wet with dew. So that night God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. We should have such a strong relationship with the Lord that we have confidence in hearing him, hearing his voice, and then responding to him without having to lay a fleece. And next, the Lord is going to ensure Israel knows that it's not by their hand that they have victory, but it's only by his hand. So my first point, well, let me say this uh, in addition to my point. The Lord works through ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and it requires us to walk in faith and to obey and to do what he's asked us to do. My first point, be available to the Lord. Second point, extraordinary challenges require extraordinary faith. And My third point is be expectant to see the Lord move mightily. Are we expecting God to move mightily? Oh, Lord, I just pray about this. Okay. Oh, wow, it happened. (laughs) You know, we need to pray with expectation. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Be, Be listening to what the Lord is saying and then pray in accordance with his word and his will and his purpose and his plan. So, a little background on what's about to happen here. Israel's going up against 135,000 warriors. So the Lord uh, Gideon calls his army together, He has 32,000 men. Our Lord says, "That's too many. Too many. So it's reduced down to 10,000 men. OK, still, those are overwhelming odds. 10,000 versus 135,000. The Lord says, "No, that's too many. Let's reduce it down to 300. <laughs> and then he tells Gideon, he says, look, if you're still afraid about going into battle, because the Midianites are down in the valley, and uh, Gideon and his team are up here, and he says, look, if you're still afraid, go down to the edge of the camp. And so Gideon takes one of his servants, and they go down there, and what they hear is this Midianite said, hey, man, I had a dream last night. He's telling another Midianite. And he says, what, what happened in your dream? He said, there was this uh, loaf of barley that tumbled down and hit a tent and turned it over and smashed it. And so the guy he was telling the dream to said, oh, that can only mean one thing. Gideon's going to have victory. And so Gideon hears that. What are the chances of that happening, Right? I mean, God is so good. He just, you know, just empowers us and encourages us. And so Gideon goes back, and he's fired up now. He's like, okay, come on. Come on, boys. Let's go to town. We're going to whip some, some Midianites. Um, I, I, no? Okay. Um, okay, so <laughs> I really want to, though. But I'm not. Yeah, I am. He was going to go whip some donkey. All right. I said it. Um, so anyway, they, what they do is they have clay jars with lanterns inside the clay jars so that when they sneak up on them, they, can't, they won't be seen with all the light, right? And, and, oh, yeah, and they have these big swords. Oh, no. No, they don't have any swords. They have ram's horns. Okay? So let's read on here. Uh, Judges seven, chapter seven now verses sixteen through twenty two He divided the three hundred men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. OK let's let's think about this for a minute. You've got three hundred men going up against an army of a hundred, probably at least one hundred and thirty five thousand men. And you would think that they need a cannon, a tank, a, a couple of drones or something, right? And they've got these lanterns in a clay pot and a ram's horn. <laughs> this, this probably in the natural is not looking too good. And then, he, then it, Gideon says, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. There's a couple of lessons here. Gideon has to be sure that he's doing what God wants him to do, right? These men have to be trusting Gideon to know that he's hearing from the Lord. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew their ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. Then they held these blazing torches in their left hand and the horns in their right hand. And they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic Shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their own swords. <laughs> Even more powerful, the enemy begins killing themselves. Those who, were with, uh, those who were not killed fled to places as far away as Beth Shittah near Zerahrah. And the border of Abel, Mehola, and near Tabith, and so I have a map. I can well, I don't know where my pointer is. Okay, uh, so up there in the orange and the green is where the the battle took place, and it said that they they uh, ravaged the land all the way to Gaza, which is down here. It's not even on the map. So when the Midianites would come from the east, they would come and they would just you know, go through the entire land, all the way to down here, below, uh, close to, uh, well, down below the map. So anyway, um, and and this is part of the story that that concludes after where we're ending. But uh, get in, and, and his men. Can you put the map back up? Sorry. Get in, and his men chase those guys all the way down here, and they get to Succoth. And they say, look, we, we're, we're taking care of these Midianite kings, and would you give our guys some food? Because, look, that's, that's probably about, uh, down to Succoth, it's probably about 40 or 50 miles. So it's not like, you know, a mile or two. And so they've been chasing these guys and in a battle, and they get to Succoth. And these guys say, well, when you, when, you get, uh, when you have victory over these two kings, then we'll give you some food. And Gideon says, that'll be too late. We're going to come back, and we're going to kick your donkey. Okay, and so then they go to Peniel, and, and the same thing happens. And they say, hey, you know, will you help us out? And they're like, no, nah, when, you, when you have victory. And they say, okay, we're going to come back, and we're going to deal with you. And so they go on. <laughs> hey, these guys are doing a great job, aren't they? I'm just jerking their chain, yeah. And they're short-handed today, and, and Chantel's helping them. So anyway, thank you, guys. So anyway, they followed them all the way down, and then they came back up, and they took care of business with those two other communities. So that's just more of the background. Please go back and read uh, Judges 6 through 10, or just read the whole book. I mean, it's good. So the Lord works through ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Be available to the Lord. Extraordinary challenges require extraordinary faith in the Lord. You want to do something great for God? It's going to require faith. But it's going to require us to understand where the power comes from. It's not on our own. It's God working through us. And that's why it's so important that we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to know what he wants us to do. Go left, go right, you know, whatever direction he's leading us. Be expectant. To see the Lord move mightily be expecting when, when the Lord tells you something be expecting it to happen when the Lord told me buy these 13 acres I was expecting that it was gonna happen and man things went so smoothly I called the banker and he said I'll have you a letter of commitment this afternoon I'm like what really and I mean you know I'm not gonna say we haven't had challenges because the enemy doesn't want us building on that land. But God is working everything out. Even when I don't see it, He's working. Even when I don't feel like it, He's working. So let me, let me close with this. We can negate the Lord's calling on our life. We, can, we have a free will. And when the Lord called us to pioneer life fellowship, we could have said no. No. We wouldn't have lost our salvation. We wouldn't have gone to hell. But we would have missed God's perfect purpose and plan for us. I remember talking with Pastor Don in Corpus, our pastor, and and he said that when the Lord called him to do the work in Corpus Christi, he said, I was not the first person. I was not God's first choice. I was not God's second choice. That's got to make you feel good, right? Uh, you'll be number three. Couldn't get anybody else to do it. But he, was the, he said he was the third person. And you look at what God has done and is doing and will do through that ministry. Pastor Don is the most powerful man alive, aside from Jesus, that I know. He is, he, he is amazing, amazing. And through the Fellowship International, I shared with you guys last week, some of the, the things that, that we're investing in that ministry and what God is doing. Millions of people are being impacted through that ministry. And we're a part of that because of our financial prayer, our financial gifts support and, and also our prayers. And think when, <laughs> think about when Pastor Don gets to heaven, if he would have said No. Think about when you get to heaven, when we get to heaven, and we say yes. And God says, look what I was able to do at the sunrise service at the chemo boardwalk. Hundreds of people there every year. You guys know, and you're serving, you're working, and you're seeing God move. We don't see the fullness of what God is doing, but we're planting hundreds of seeds that can then plant hundreds of seeds. And have a huge impact and we're investing in these ministries that are touching millions of people and when we get our building built who knows what God's gonna do and so we keep praying we keep believing we keep pressing in yielding to God's calling is not the path of least resistance and I think sometimes as Christians we've not really done people a good good service when we tell them to get saved And we lead them to think when you get saved, you have no more problems. Everything is wonderful. You never have any challenges. James says, Count it all joy, not if, but when you have trials and tribulations, for the testing of your faith builds your patience or your perseverance. And when your patience is complete, then you are complete, lacking nothing. So we're never promised that we don't have any challenges, but we are promised that we have victory. We are overcomers. So, yielding to our flesh and our sin nature is the path of least resistance. But it has a lifelong, eternal consequence. Whether we're following our flesh, the path of least resistance, or we're following the Lord, both of those have consequences and eternal uh, consequences for us, our children. So, I'm going to close out with Galatians 5.16. So, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. We're talking about God using ordinary people that we would consider ordinary, but God doesn't necessarily consider us to be ordinary because we have the power of His Holy Spirit living in us. He's entrusted us to go forth and do the ministry to share the hope and the love of Christ with other people. The thing that is most dear to God's heart is people. And he's giving us the power, the anointing, the authority, dominion, to go represent him, be ambassadors for Christ. That's an honor.